Welcome, friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our past may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life in a body that we love. A life free of diets, free from guilt, and free from shame. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past, and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Hey there, welcome to this week's interview episode of the Awesome Inside Out podcast. Part of my goal of this podcast is to help make your relationship with food really, really simple. So I invited author and health expert Maria Marlowe to share her story of living with acne to clearing it up almost overnight with food. Maria's book, The Real Food Grocery Guide, has been called the most practical book to navigate a healthier way of eating by renowned physician and leading researcher Dean Ornish. Her tips and recipes have been featured in Vogue, In Style, The New York Times, Dr. Oz, and more. Needless to say, she's a powerhouse of knowledge on how to make eating clean, fun, and easy. Because let's face it, most of us, especially in America, are crazy confused about what to eat and when. So get ready, my friends, to take notes because this episode is going to be jam-packed with powerful take-home tips to up-level your health and treat your body like gold. I am so excited to have you. Ever since I remember seeing your book launch, was it a couple years? Two years ago. ago. Wow, wow, wow. And watching the trailer. And I was like, I love this girl. This is so amazing, (laughs) which we'll dive into later. But since seeing that and getting to know you over the last couple of years, it's just been so incredible to see what you've built with your business and how you're helping women across the globe shift their relationship with food and their body and slim down and really create this healthy relationship with their weight. And so I'm really excited to dive into all of that. Before we get started with those mindset shifts and what you really do in terms of your work, I would love to hear about how you got started in this work and what really shifted for you and that breaking point of saying, okay, it's time to really, really take care of my health. Sure. So I never grew up wanting to go into the nutrition or health space at all. When I was growing up, I wanted to be Britney Spears' backup dancer. (laughs) So, you know, I was going on a certain path and I come from a family where obesity and chronic illness are the norm, not the exception. So for me, when I was growing up, it was normal to be overweight and it was normal to be sick all of the time. Like I just didn't think anything of it. It's cold and flu season. Of course you get the cold and the flu multiple times. But as I got a bit older, around the age of about 16, I started getting acne really badly. And now this was something that actually nobody in my family really was dealing with, not my older brother or younger sister. It was just me and it was really bad on my face. And here I am, a 16-year-old girl in high school and freaking out. So this is what really started me on this nutrition path because I had tried everything. I went to multiple different dermatologists. Well, I started with the -the over-the-counter stuff. I tried the proactive. I then went to multiple different dermatologists who prescribed me different creams. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And I found that it always got worse, but it never really got (laughs) better. So for a long time, I just felt like I was cursed because nobody had a real answer for me or a reason why I had such bad acne. Fast forward, I get to college. I'm actually studying fashion at the time. And I'm sitting at lunch with a girlfriend of mine. I'm eating pizza, washing it down with some soda, and then finishing it off with Entenmann's chocolate chip cookies. Okay, this is my daily lunch. 
And she's like, because I was complaining about my skin. She's like, you know, it might actually be caused by what you're eating. And I looked at her like she had three heads because I'd been to six different dermatologists and not one of them ever asked me what I was eating. So I was just like, okay, fine, let me try. I'm willing to try anything. I bought a book on the connection between skin and food, drastically overhauled my diet, and then lo and behold, my skin cleared up. So for me to be able to see that difference in the mirror very quickly after years of trying these topical medications and none of them were working fully for me, for me, that was really powerful. And I just got really interested in nutrition. So the more research I did, the more I realized that food affects everything in our body. So not just our weight, it affects our skin, it affects our mood, our cancer risk, and everything in between. So that's how I got started down that nutrition rabbit hole and then really never looked back. That's incredible. And then did you drop out of fashion school? Is that what happened or what was the transition? So, okay, initially I was interested in nutrition for myself and then I started helping all of my family members and I was still going to school for fashion at the time. I eventually switched into business. And I was sort of the go-to for my friends and family, like, oh, my dad has arthritis. What should he eat? Or this person has that. What should they eat? And so it became just like this hobby for me. And I wasn't actually thinking about turning it into a career until after I had graduated from college. I was working in finance. And I looked around and I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to turn out like any of these people in 20 years. (laughs) So the nutrition had become such a huge part of my life. I was spending every waking second after work and on the weekends researching, going to conferences, watching documentaries, reading books. And I was like, you know what? You only live once and I'm just going to go for it. So I went back to school to study cooking, like plant-based cooking. And then through there, then I went to school to study nutrition and was working at the time. But eventually, once I finished the program, ended up starting my own health coaching practice and never looked back since. That was five years ago. That's incredible. And now you're helping the people that you were originally working with. Yes, yes. It's so funny. I actually bumped into an old coworker from my finance job in Whole Foods one day. And yeah, it's just crazy because my life, like I could have still been there. I could have still been doing that, but I've taken a completely different path and now I'm teaching them corporate wellness. Yeah. I think that happens to so many of us where we look around and we're like, there's got to be something else that we're just missing in our awareness or our consciousness that isn't currently here in what's happening. And so how do we kind of step outside of this box and really start making these shifts? Because society and your parents and just all the messages around you are like, you have to take this one narrow path, right? But once you step outside of that, you realize there's actually so much more and there's so many different paths each of us can take. It's a matter of really tuning into what interests us and looking around and seeing what people need. So for me, I looked around and I saw that my entire family, more or less, was suffering from at least one chronic illness or another. Most of them are suffering with obesity. And again, looking around in New York, people have so many health problems. And I just felt like at the time, it's better now, but at the time, really no one was talking about food and how food could affect all of these issues. Yeah. For a long time, it was very woo or weird to think that food could be the healing modality. I remember when my father got cancer, everyone looked at us and said, you're crazy. What are you doing? This, you're putting your dad's life at risk. This is wild that you're using food to heal cancer. And then after he stayed cancer-free for so long, so many of them came back around and said, okay, what did you do? What are those things that you actually did? And I think it's really important, obviously, to get medical advice, of course, but to also look at, okay, what are these other modalities that can be healing and can decrease inflammation and decrease the acidity in our body and really shift the state of our health and well-being? 
And so I'm curious, what is because of this resistance? Did you have a lot with your parents once you started to heal? Yes. Oh, my God. I got made fun of for so long. Like, I was like the vegetable eater. I don't even remember. They used to call me names and just make comments at any holiday dinner or any family dinner, making comments about all the vegetables on my plate. And I was like, listen, I don't care. Like, I don't want to end up like any of you guys. Like, no offense, you know, but I don't want to be struggling to walk. I don't want to be struggling to breathe. I don't want any of that. I want to live a full life. That's really the ultimate thing for me. It's not just having clear skin or nice figure or anything like that. It's also the quality of your life. Like when we were growing up, going to Disney World, if my dad had to stay back because he couldn't walk through the park because he was so overweight and his knees were shot out. Just things like that, like missing out on life's moments because of what we've chosen to eat. Like to me, that's mind boggling. And I think the problem is that, like we just said before, it's really only relatively recently that people are starting to draw the connection or it's starting to be talked about more that food affects way more than just your weight and like it affects inflammation, it affects acidity, all these things. So a lot of the older generations, like they're not educated. So now like their young daughter to come and be like, hey, dad, like you can't eat that, even though your doctor said it was fine. You know, it's, right. it's hard for them to fathom a little bit. I'm curious what that was in you that just wanted more to life. Because when I sit across from someone or someone says, hey, I'm really having these challenges. And I'm like, here's a very clear pathway to shift this challenge but yet they're so resistant and they're like up against this wall of just like, I don't want to create change. I don't want to shift my life. I don't want to do the things that it's going to take. I'm just curious what it was for you that really created that mindset shift. Was it seeing your dad sick? Was it seeing them? Yeah, I mean, it's scared. Like I used to have nightmares. I mean, sometimes I still do. Like, I don't know. I have this fear of my dad dying. Like my fear of my dad having a heart attack. I don't know. I must've learned about heart attacks in school at some time, like, I don't know, middle school or something. And he has a big belly, right? And that's one of the big factors is having a large waist circumference. That is a big risk factor for a heart disease. And I just got it in my head that my dad was going to have a heart attack. Don't ask me why. And I would just have nightmares about it. And it would make me really upset because I felt like there was another path for him, but he was choosing not to take it. So for me, I couldn't understand. Like if I found out I had an issue, like for example, acne, And I figured out that there was a path to clear it up. It may not be the path that I wanted to go on. Like I wanted to still eat pizza and cookies and soda and all that stuff. Those were my favorite foods. But to me, clearing up my acne was more important. My health was more important. So that was for me, like I decided to put myself first and to put my health first. A lot of people have difficulty with that. Food is so much more than just food. It's tied up in emotions. It's tied up in just in feelings. and. It's hard sometimes for people to let go of that. And I guess for me, the desire to clear up my skin and the desire to improve my health and not be sick, because I was sick all of the time with every cold, every flu, every stomach virus. And for me, I was just done. Like, I didn't want that. I wanted to have a life where I didn't have to worry about my health. I could just live my life every single day. And that's it. I didn't want to have to worry about, okay, what medications do I have to take at this time? Am I going to be able to pick up my kids or my grandkids? Like, I don't want to have to worry about any of those issues. Right. It's such an incredible conversation to have because I think one of the missing pieces in our healthcare system is the Band-Aid effect. And it's that we're abandoning the problem instead of teaching people about prevention. And when we start to shift the story to, okay, why are we not educating people about what actually can take place to prevent disease? For example, with obesity statistics, we know that only 3 to 6% of obesity genetics 
obesity is caused from genetics, right? And so three to 6%, that means you have close to a 94% chance of curing your obesity from food, right? Or movement or your lifestyle. And so I think that this is a conversation we need to have more and more. And the mindset is what really needs to shift because people aren't thinking in terms of prevention. They're only thinking, fix the problem, right? Right, for sure. No, and that's why I ended up totally changing career paths because my family didn't really know. And they were of that mindset where we'll just keep doing what we're doing. And then when we have a problem, we'll try to fix it. It wasn't like, oh, let me try and prevent this from happening, especially since we saw people before us suffering with these issues. So right on that page with you, I think prevention is so, so important. The problem is it's not really like sexy. Yeah, it's right not now. sexy. It's not like <laughs> drop 10 pounds in 10 days, Yeah, which is so interesting because when we look at all the headlines, there are no headlines that you will see where a marketer uses the best way to prevent cancer because right. that people are admitting that they potentially have a problem and then they're living in that fear, which I always say you can shift that fear of the fear of something happening in the future to just recognizing, okay, I want to be alive today and I have this present moment to really make these decisions and I am responsible for all the decisions and what manifests in my body is really the outcome of my decisions to the most part. So I think it's really important what you're doing and that we continue to have these conversations, especially to younger women. I'm curious what other resistance you come up against, if there's anything, because I know you work with women all over the world that are in the corporate letter, the celebrities, like all these amazing people that come to you, probably I'm guessing for the quick fix, but I'm wondering what the resistance is that comes up. Yeah, well, it's so funny. So when I first started my health coaching practice, I was like, I'm going to help everyone get healthy, 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 healthy. And nobody came to me because they wanted to improve their health. They came to me because they wanted to lose 10 pounds or 20 pounds or 50 pounds, whatever it was. So that was just interesting. Some resistance that I see is that a lot of people use their social life as an excuse for why they can't eat healthy. I go out, I entertain my clients a lot. I'm always at restaurants. I don't really like to cook, things like that. But the truth is, while it's definitely preferable to cook at home because you know exactly what's going in your food and you can control the quality, the truth is you can eat out and still eat healthy. It's just that you have to make the right choices. And that starts with first finding the restaurants. So with a Google search or there's different apps, like I like the Happy Cow app as a good start, or I'll just Google organic restaurants in city, whatever city I'm visiting, and kind of start from there to find restaurants that are going to have really healthy options. Then once you get there, looking at the menu. So something that I teach my clients is what I call the ideal plate ratio, which is essentially at any meal, you want to fill at least 50% of your plate, if not more, with vegetables. They could be cooked, they could be raw, it doesn't matter. You just got to get the fiber and the nutrients, the antioxidants on your plate. Then you also want some protein, a high quality protein. If that's animal protein, it's going to be organic, grass-fed or wild seafood. And then you want some healthy fat as well. And if you just remember that little ratio, you could mix and match dishes at really almost any restaurant you can find to make that ideal plate ratio. And just doing that will drastically improve and upgrade what you would, most people are eating out at restaurants. Mm -hmm. Do you think a lot of the resistance too is that they don't want to look like the crazy person at the dinner table? Oh yeah, but you have to give that up. Like yeah. you really have to give that up because you know what? You're going to be the only person in the fitting room when things don't fit. You're going to be the only person in the doctor's office when you get the scary diagnosis. And you're going to be the only one that's going to have to deal with that. So you have to ask yourself, are you worth it? And I think you are, right? Right. You have right. to just believe that your health is more important than what other people think of you. And the truth is, 
If you have friends that maybe are not super healthy and you're starting to eat healthier and live a healthier lifestyle, 99.9% of the time, they're going to eventually turn around. They will make fun of you first. But can I tell you, my dad is drinking green juice now, okay? He's replaced his diet soda with green juice. He's eating more vegetables, right? So people eventually come around and you just have to be strong enough and confident enough in yourself that you have to be the CEO of your body and make decisions, whether that's what you decide to eat and what you decide to order, the questions that you ask when you're out and just how you treat your body. And you can't let anyone else's opinion or thoughts, like don't think like, oh, I'm going to be too high maintenance or anything like that. Like, no. First, start with a restaurant that's already going to have good options. Look at the menu beforehand so you have an idea of what you want. And just say it really confidently. Like people have food allergies. Restaurants know how to deal with that. So it's really not a problem at all. And definitely don't use that as an excuse because you don't need to. Right. Yeah. That's the one I hear almost every day. Well, it's my sister's birthday. It's my mom and dad's 40th anniversary. It's this, it's that. And I think when we're constantly, we can always make an excuse. There's always a holiday. There's always a weekend. There's always a Sunday. There's always, (laughs) you know, the next thing. There's always our best friends. It's like a day that ends in Y. I know. Like bachelorette party. There's always a wedding. There's always something. And so I think it's really crucial that we start to recognize that there will always be an excuse and that we're using all of those things and other people as excuses instead of looking within. What are some other ways that you help your clients shift their mindset around just empowering them from a place of well-being and sustainable health. So not looking at things from a quick fix, seven days and seven pounds, but what do you think it really takes to get people into the flow of the sustainability, right? Of really creating this lifestyle and how do they keep it? Yeah. So you're right. There's no such thing as a quick fix. And with food, I always tell people if let's say they're trying to lose 30 pounds, you didn't gain 30 pounds overnight. So you're not going to lose it overnight either. You have to be really gentle with your body. I think that traditionally diet culture has been us trying to beat our bodies into submission. Like we're trying to punish ourselves with the gym. Like, oh, if I ate this, I have to burn double the calories at the gym, right? And it's just sort of this like us trying to control our body rather than coming at it from a place of trying to nourish ourselves and trying to really listen to our bodies. So, what I would say first is, Really listen to your body and be gentle with it. And what that means is look at all of the symptoms that you have. And maybe you're focusing on weight because that's your main priority. But think about, do you have migraines? Do you have skin issues? Do you have digestive issues? Whatever you have, take a stock of all of these things and then start playing detective because these things are going to give you clues to maybe some things that you're doing or eating that are not serving goo. So I like to start there, do a little detective work. And then with the food, again, it's you don't have to restrict calories. You don't have to focus on taking things out. You want to focus on what you're adding in. You want to focus on making sure that you feel full and nourished. And that's where that 50 to 75% of veggies, they're going to fill you up. Like nobody's going to ever sit there and eat like two heads of cauliflower right? And one sitting, two boxes of cookies. Yeah, sure. Many people could do that, myself included. But two heads of coffee, it's just not going to happen. So these foods have what I like to call built-in portion control. They're actually going to fill us up and satisfy us. So we're not going to overeat. And looking at eating that way, like I'm going to eat till I'm full. You don't have to starve yourself to lose weight. You just have to feed yourself the right foods that your body recognizes as food and knows how to use. 
And that's what's going to get you to your ideal weight in a way that is sustainable, where you're not going to feel like you're starving after a week and you're literally like eat your arm off or something. Because that's what happens when you starve yourself and you go too low on the calories, you hate your life and you're going to quit really soon after. It's just not sustainable. Whereas eating whole, nourishing, real foods that is sustainable because you actually feel full, you actually feel nourished, and you'll probably start to notice some of those issues, those other issues like the skin or the digestive issues or whatever it is, you'll notice that those will start to lessen energy. That's a huge one. So many people come to me and they're like, I have no energy. Like I have to rely on coffee. I'm having, you know, 10 cups of coffee a day, which is insane. And it shouldn't be that way. Like nobody needs 10 cups of coffee. Like if you don't have energy to get through the day, you need to look at your diet. You need to look at what's going on. That's pleading all of your energy. Yeah. I don't know who said it, but it's the idea that we don't even know how good we're supposed to feel. And we go to the doctor and we get our tests done. And I see this so often, right? Where the medical tests come back and it's like, everything's fine. But yet we're ignoring the symptoms at home or the way that we actually feel, which we feel like shit. So we leave the doctor thinking, okay, well, my doctor told me I'm great. The doctor told me all my tests are normal. But you're stacking your normal against everyone else that's sick as well. And so we have to be very conscious and we have to begin to look at really tapping our own truth of, do I wake up with energy? Do I wake up with vitality? Do I feel energized throughout the day? Am I crashing by 3 p.m.? Can I make it till dinner time? Am I sleeping good amount? Am I getting deep sleep? Am I able to be cognitive and have mental clarity at work? All of these things matter, and yet we're ignoring them because we're being told, a lot of times, I'm not saying everyone, but very often we're being told, well, your medical tests or your blood work is normal, but these are the things that we can shift with food. For sure, and a big part of the problem is, for many of us, I know in my family, well, my parents were sick all the time. My whole family, my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, like everyone felt like crap all of the time. So for me, that was normal. Like I didn't know that you could just have energy all day or that you didn't have to be bloated. One thing, anecdote that I tell all the time because it's just so funny and so telling, I had this client a few years ago and during my intake, I always ask them, like I have them fill out a questionnaire and one of the questions is, do you have any digestive issues? And so this girl was like, no. And then I meet with her and start talking with her and asking her more specific questions. Like, do you have bloating? Do you have gas? Do you have this? Do you have that? And she's like, yes, yes, yes. And I only go to the bathroom like two times a week. And I was like, oh, well, how come you didn't say on the intake form that you had digestive issues? She's like, oh, I have digestive issues. I just thought this was normal. Like I thought I was a gassy person. I thought like I was just a constipated gassy person. (laughs) And I'm like, no, you're not. Like that's your normal because of whatever you're eating, but that's not actually normal. And you can get to a new normal. Right. Right. And I think also what happens is if a lot of people are looking from an outside perspective, Instagram or looking at people who are in the health world and saying, well, that's not normal too, right? We're pointing it the other way and saying like, oh, that's not normal. Like she must just have really good genetics. She must just come from a line of genes that everyone in that family is healthy because most people aren't that way. So we're also comparing ourselves that way as well and saying, She just has a lot of money. She just has a lot of access. She's a celebrity. She has chefs. So we're looking at it from that direction and saying, well, of course they're healthy. They have all these things that help them stay healthy. And I think what we forget is that the things that I teach and a lot of the things you teach don't actually cost extra money. They're the things that are been the blueprint, the very staples of our health from the very beginning, like sleep, meditation, mindfulness, (laughs) eating clean, organic, healthy foods from the farmer's market that cost the same, right? If you just do a little bit more work to get them. And so it's interesting, right? It's interesting how we're normalizing things based on our own pain and suffering 
and where we want to stay because we don't have the courage to step out of it. For sure. And sometimes I find people have stories about themselves. So if you grew up overweight and maybe you were teased for it, so you're the fat girl, like you've become the fat funny girl, let's say, and this is who you view yourself as. So losing weight is actually scary. And this is sometimes I'll see people will start eating healthy, they'll lose like 20 pounds and they'll be like, they'll almost get scared and they'll just totally self-sabotage and start eating all the wrong foods again, the ones that make them sick, that make them bloated, that cause them to gain weight. And it comes down to they couldn't deal with the identity change. Like they were scared to be like, they didn't know who they would become, right? Because they're the fat, funny girl and they don't know how to be the fit, healthy girl. So I think that's the stories that we tell ourselves have a huge part in whether we end up being successful or not. Yeah. And I think that that's why it's really important to like the work that you do where it's slow and steady with weight loss, because if we don't shift our mindset while we're losing weight, like you said, if we lose weight too quickly, we're like, who am I to be this person that's healthy and energized and can wake up and take on life and go get the career I want and the relationship I want and have the friends I want. And now I have this completely different shift and who am I? And now like, it's just like this terrifying feeling. And then it's like the binging and the self-sabotage comes back. And then we completely destroy everything that we worked for. And that's why I always say vibrationally, it's very hard to catch up if you lose weight. Yeah, for sure. Well, and that's why I always start with self-love because if you don't have a strong sense of self and a strong love and care for your body, you're not going to be successful at anything. I'm not talking just health. I'm just talking like in general because you don't value yourself. And when you don't value yourself, you're not going to make the decisions that would are going to support your highest self or your highest health. So it really comes down to like one thing that I have people do is my clients do is first catch themselves because a lot of women do this. They'll berate themselves in their head like, oh, I'm so this, I'm so fat, I hate this role, I hate this, I hate my thighs, I hate... We talk about all the things that we hate and what's wrong with us and literally call ourselves names. But it's like if anyone heard you saying that out loud or you told that to another person, like you would never say that to another person, right? But we say it to ourselves. And what happens is when we do that, when we're faced with a decision of do we take the stairs or do we go up the elevator? like, oh, well, if I'm the overweight, like non-healthy person, then yeah, I'm going to take the elevator, right? I'm not the athletic girl. Like if you have in, in your head that, okay, I'm the fit, healthy person, then you're going to take the stairs, right? So it's like also with the choices, what you eat, like everything, it's just sort of a domino effect. And we don't even realize it happens because a lot of these decisions are being made subconsciously. So it really goes back to you have to have this strong sense of self and you have to really honor and love and respect yourself. And when you're deciding to get healthy, don't do it from a place of I'm punishing myself, doing it from a place of I'm nourishing and caring for myself. Yeah. And I love myself enough to lose this weight. I think that's a huge conversation right now in the media, especially, which I'm seeing a lot of. And I've had so many women reach out to me, this idea of self-love or self-sabotage, where it's like, well, if I love myself, can I eat the pizza and the diet soda? And I actually did a client intake. I had a client intake the other day where the woman was like, well, I'm just, I'm really confused. Like, I really just think that there are all these people online are telling me that self-love is this idea that I can basically sit on my couch and watch reality shows because that's what I really love. And I'm like, whoa, hold up. <laughs> This whole mindset shift around weight loss, I believe really has to change because I think there is a process when it's healthy that weight loss can be a spiritual process. It can be about self-love. It can be about self-worth. And if we kind of compartmentalize it and say, well, losing weight is actually a negative thing and deem it negative, 
we're kind of doing a disservice to the fact that it actually can make us healthier in some spaces. Like for myself with an eating disorder, it wouldn't have. But for a lot of women and a lot of people who would actually have more energy and have more vitality and feel better about themselves and have more mental clarity and so forth, it is an important step to take. And I think right now it's getting very confused online. Hey there, are you loving this podcast? Well, a simple way to support is to head over to sarahannstewart.com and join the newsletter. Doing this ensures that you are never gonna miss out on any details of new projects, products, upcoming events, or behind the scenes stuff that I only share with my inner circle. Also by joining, you're gonna get access to the movement, which means you are part of a free community of individuals standing in their power to live a diet-free life in a body that they love. So head on over to sarahannstewart.com and subscribe, and I'll see you on the inside. The truth of the matter is excess weight, there's nothing wrong with it. Like being overweight, there's nothing wrong with it. You're not a bad person. Like anybody who like talks crap about you, like is totally wrong. Like nobody should be judging. I'm not about that at all. But the truth of the matter is excess weight does increase your risk for a whole host of chronic illnesses. And coming from a family that has witnessed all these chronic illnesses, like it's really sad. Like I don't want anyone's mom or anyone's dad to be so sick and so unhealthy because of what they're eating that they can't go to their kid's graduation or they can't walk around Disney World with them or they can't whatever. Like it ends up taking away from your life too. So I think I understand the backlash in a sense because Women in particular, I feel like, are told they have to look a certain way. Their face has to look a certain way. Their body has to look a certain way. Their hair has to be a certain color, right? So women are always told these things. And other women that don't meet this criteria are maybe ostracized or whatever. And that's wrong. That's for sure wrong. But I think to your point, like we can't lose the point that a healthy weight is not just a physical, like to look physically one way, it's to actually improve your health, improve your energy, lower your cancer risk, lower your risk for chronic illness and disease, give you energy, all of these things so you can live your fullest life. And it looks different for everyone. It's exactly. not the same for everyone and everyone will have a different weight that is they trust in themselves that once you tap that place of intuition that you know that's your healthy weight, that's the place where you can have this optimal life. But I think there is that confusion and a lot of people are getting very confused by it. So I think it's something that we need to talk a lot more about while also understanding that losing weight or gaining weight doesn't change your self-worth and your self-esteem and your self-love and how you can feel actually internally in your body. Those things can remain consistent, but it does have an impact on your physical health. And the fluctuations in self-love, self-esteem, self-worth are because of our own patterns and stories and so forth. And so I think we can find a place in ourselves where we love ourselves regardless of the weight, but still we want to be the healthiest versions exactly. of ourselves. And so what are some of the things that you do with your clients to help them shift that story of self-love? Well, there's a few things. So I love to have people write a love note to themselves. To really take the time and sit down and think about what are the positive aspects about me? What do I love about me? Because most people don't think about that. Most people only think, oh, I'm such an idiot. I messed this up. Like, I can't believe I did that. I look this way. I look that way. Right? Th those are the things that we tell ourselves. We never sit down and be like, wow, I just nailed that interview. Or wow, I just did really something really well. You know, we don't really take the time to celebrate those wins and to celebrate the great things. So 
really sitting down and writing a love note to ourselves. That's one thing and keeping that handy. Nobody else has to see it, but keeping it handy for whenever you are feeling a little low that you can just check it and be like, oh, wait a minute. So that's one thing. Having a daily gratitude practice, I think is so life-changing. Just when you wake up in the morning, the first thing that you do before you get out of bed, maybe even before you open your eyes, is just list all the things that you're grateful for. It could be that you woke up that morning, that you have arms and legs and you can walk and you can run and whatever it is, list all the things that you're grateful for and just starting your morning that way. You're training your brain to look for the good in things instead of looking for the bad in things. I know in my family, there's a lot of negativity. So we're always looking like, oh, it's raining out or like, oh, like it's always bad. Like what's bad about the rain? It makes the flowers grow. It makes the trees grow. It cleans the air. Like we don't have to look at everything as negative. We really need to train our brain to look at things for the positive. And I feel like a gratitude practice starts that. It also puts things into perspective. Like when later on, maybe we're trying something on and it doesn't fit and we want to just be like, hate on ourselves a little bit. But it's like, uh, no, like the fact that I'm breathing and walking and all of these things, like I'm way better off than a lot of people in this world. And it puts things in perspective. So it kind of makes you bite your tongue a little bit. And also like another thing that I have people do is I have them try and pinpoint what the emotion or the feelings are when it comes to whatever they're doing to self-sabotage. So maybe it is overeating, for example. And if that's the case, Whenever you get into that zone where you're about to overeat, think about what is the feeling associated with it? Am I lonely? Am I bored? Am I just looking for a distraction? Whatever it is, really name that emotion. And then from there, write a list of 10 or 20 things that are going to allow you to feed that emotion in a positive way that are not food related. So for example, if you're lonely, like you get home and after a long day of work and there's no one there call a friend, invite a friend over for dinner, write a letter to a friend and drop it in the mail. I mean, think about how nice that would be if someone, if you opened up your mail and you had a nice card from someone, not just bills, but you had a beautiful card from someone, like that would really light up your day. So things like that, where you can fulfill that emotion in a positive way and that are not food basically. So those are some of my, my favorite exercises. Yeah, that's so powerful. I also did the emotional food journal with my clients and I love the part about how do you serve this emotion or how do you heal this emotion and what are the actions that you can take behind that. And I also think most of the emotions that we're feeling can be healed very easily and from a place where we actually have the power to do it. So often we're suppressing the emotion because we don't want to address it, right? We're like, oh, well, that feels scary and terrifying and I don't know what that is and I don't know where that's coming from. So I'm just going to use food to push the emotion down. But the emotion always is going to come back. Oh, for sure. With a vengeance, (laughs) too. I know. And it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger until we actually address it and say, okay, I've come home seven nights in a row and I'm lonely. And what is the story about? Oh, I just broke up with my boyfriend and this is what's happening and this is where it's coming from. And I think sometimes it's like our subconscious is working so hard to keep us safe, right? That we don't even recognize the story unless we allow ourselves to see it. It's like blurred vision. For sure. And another thing that I really try to promote, I talk about this on my podcast all the time. I think one thing that we're sorely missing as a society is self-reflection. We never take the time to reflect on our life, to reflect on our day, our week, none of that. And that's really the only way that we're going to grow. If we don't take the time to reflect, to pause, to see, okay, what's working? What's really not working? Where do I want to go? What my goals are? 
you're not going to get very far. So it's really a matter of taking stock on a regular basis. Maybe it's daily, maybe it's weekly, like every Sunday before the week starts. What are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? What did you do well last week? Where did you maybe fall short last week? What can you work on? Taking that time to self-reflect is really going to help us get to where we need to go. And we just have to check in with ourselves and be honest with ourselves. Right. I think there's the story, right? Because we've been marketed to for so long about the quick fix that everything else outside of the quick fix feels like so much work. And we don't recognize that by actually doing the work and the people who are actually successful. We're friends with many of health coaches, lots of people in this community. We all do the work. Like we're consistently doing the work. We're doing the work on ourselves. We're doing the work on inner stories. We're doing the work on our relationship with food, our body. Like this is not a quick fix sort of thing. And yet also those stories and our relationship with food and our body shifts over time, right? And so we have to continue to do the work. It's not like this seven day, seven pounds and seven day protocol is going to work when all of a sudden our body shifts because we had a baby or because our hormones are changing. Like those are the things that I don't think anyone is talking about. Right. And I think we have to adopt this mindset of being a lifelong learner about the outside world and also ourselves. Like I'm still learning things every single day about my body or food or whatever it is because I'm constantly seeking that knowledge. I'm constantly looking to improve. And yeah, it's just something I'm interested in. Like I don't want to stay complacent because our body changes, our circumstances change, our lifestyle changes. And what worked maybe two or three years ago is not necessarily going to work right now. So that's really where that listening to your body and that self-reflection is going to help you have that flexibility to adapt and change. Do you think people get in a place where the frustration that something didn't work is what keeps them stuck? Do you think that that's like, because I think so often that that's really what's happening is people, and I'm curious if you're seeing this with your clients where they literally are like, oh, well now I can't eat gluten, so fuck everything else. Or like, oh, well now I can't eat dairy and I realize dairy doesn't work for my body, so just fuck it. Like, And it's this like idea that when we recognize something is bad for us, we kind of are go into the story of like, oh, my body, there must be something wrong with my body. Or if we're like, that doesn't work, like that class didn't work for me like my friend or that diet didn't work like my friend. There's all this like guilt and shame and like stories around our bodies that we're worthy or we're not good enough or it's just kind of like screw everything now. Are, do you see that a lot in your practice? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it comes back to self-sabotage. And I think we all self-sabotage to some degree in different areas of our life. So some people might be really on point with their health and fitness and at the gym every day, eating their healthy food and great, but then it comes to their relationships or their career or whatever it is, and maybe they're self-sabotaging there. So I feel like we all have a tendency to do this to some degree or another. And I think that it just comes up to us making excuses and not really wanting to put in the work. The thing is, if you really want something, you will find a way, right? You will climb over the mountains and climb over the fence, like knock down the wall. Like you will do whatever you have to do to get, if your desire is strong enough, you will do whatever it takes to get there. So working backwards from that, if you say, for example, like, oh, I want to get healthier, I want to lose weight, whatever it is, but your desire is not actually strong enough, like you don't have a strong enough reason why, the first obstacle that comes up, you're like, oh, peace out, I'm turning around, I'm going the other way. And you can't do that because there's no one size fits all. Each of our bodies is different, our biochemistry is different, even just at different parts in our life, like what worked in our 20s might not work in our 30s, 40s, 50s. So we have to be willing to try things 
give it enough time, not for like two days or two weeks. Like we actually have to give it like months. Try something and see what happens. Do we feel better? Yes. Okay. Continue. Do we not feel better? No. Okay. We need to pivot and find another solution because maybe that wasn't the right path for us. I think it's just a matter of connecting really strongly to our why and then having this no excuses mindset that will take us to seeing success no matter what obstacle gets in our way. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea where if you recognize that something isn't working, almost view it as part of the checklist. Like, okay, next. Like, wow, that didn't work. And I'm so grateful. Thank you, body, for telling me that that didn't work. Now I know that doesn't work. So I know gluten doesn't sit well with me. So I'm never going to have gluten again because it makes me feel sick. So why would I want to make myself feel sick? And it's like this gratitude process. Like when I was identifying the foods that don't work for me, I was starting to feel grateful because I was like, wow, now I know not to eat that anymore. And I know to make this choice or I know to like that, that my body actually does better with this type of exercise. For sure. And even I tell people with any of their ailments, like if they're getting migraines or they have eczema or they have acne or whatever it is, like. Don't be mad and hating on your body. Your body's just doing what it's supposed to do to warn you and wake you up yes. that you need to change something. So actually be grateful. And that mindset shift is huge because then you start working with your body instead of against your body. And I'll say even personally, when I first changed my diet and I changed it because of the acne, my skin cleared up in the matter of a couple months, which no cream or lotion was able to do for quite some time, for years. And the first thing I realized, I was like, wow, my skin is clear. This is a miracle from God. I can go back to eating my pizza and chocolate chip cookies and soda. And it's just a coincidence that my skin cleared up. So I literally went back to eating that way. And of course, overnight, my skin broke out like crazy. And then I was like, oh, okay, actually, all right, fine. Maybe it is actually the food. <laughs> I know. I remember like when I go to Italy, I'm like, this is going to be the exception when my body like doesn't flare up and I don't get acne. And then every time, every time I go to Italy, every time I go to Europe, I'm like, there you go again, there's the acne. And I'm like, is it worth the pizza and the pasta to feel this way? And 99% of the time it's not, but I always like, well, maybe this time it will be different and it's never any different. <laughs> right. And you know what? And it's a choice too. Yes. Like now yeah. knowing that, like maybe you feel like that 1% of the time, like actually it is worth it. Like, you know what? I'm going to eat this because I really want it. I don't care if I get a pimple right? tomorrow or I don't care. And it's okay. I feel like if though you know that certain foods are really causing like a problem for your body, like for example, leaky gut, right, is believed to be the cause for all autoimmune conditions. If you have an autoimmune condition, and that's a time where you're going to really want to avoid those foods that are causing the leaky gut because you're causing some serious issues in your body. So like things like that, I feel like you always want to have your non-negotiables, I feel like. But maybe a french fry. French fries are definitely not healthy. They're fried in like crappy oil, right? Not healthy in any sense of the word. But you know what? Maybe you just maybe you occasion know. calls for a yeah. french fry. Yeah. Go for it. So I think it's just a matter of knowing your body and just being mindful about what you're doing. And some people say an 80-20 mindset or 90-10. Whatever works best for you at that point in your life and that part of your healing journey is totally fine. Yeah. And just making sure that the 10% and the 90% are both from a place of self-love, right? I think that that's one of the most important things where people get confused. So it's like a lot of people view the 90% or 80% this is the time that I don't get to do anything I love for my body. This is the time where I have to be on this protocol and I'm in deprivation. And then the 20% of the time is when I love myself and I'm like, I get to have anything I want. And I'm like, why can't it be both? Why can't every decision come from place of love? 80% of the time you're eating the things that are really healthy for you and that because you love yourself and the 20% of the time, maybe not so healthy, but 
it's from a place of self-love because you just enjoy it and you love the connection. You love being with people and having a new experience with a new chef or being in a different part of the country or whatever that experience is coming from. For sure. And I think that's definitely a big concern for people in the beginning. But I find that as time goes on, people's taste buds change. And they find that they don't even really want their old favorite junk foods that they thought like they would be dying for and waiting for the weekend for or whatever. They're like, you know what? Actually, I really don't want it. And it's so funny. I was just in the airport yesterday and I happened to be talking to one of the women that worked there. And she was telling me, I was like looking for a healthy snack in the shop there. And I was like, oh, do you have anything healthy? And she's like pointing out a couple things. And she's like, yeah, you know, she started going off on how her doctor told her to get off sugar. It was the most important thing she had to do. And she didn't want to do it. She used to drink soda every day and candy and this and that. She's like, I feel so good. I have so much energy, like blah, blah, blah. She's like showing me all the things with the low sugar in there. And she's like, I had a soda the other day and it was so disgusting. I had to spit it out. Like it was too sweet for me. And that's what happens. Like the foods that we think are so delicious and amazing now, once you get used to eating whole real foods that are naturally flavored and sweetened and all of this, you don't even want the highly processed stuff anymore. Right. My husband used to drink gallons of Mountain Dew. Like so wild to me because I was like, I will never marry anyone who drinks diet soda or soda because I always had this ego thing that I was like, I'm going to be influenced. I'm going to go back to the <laughs> old way of living. And because it had taken me so many years to get off of diet soda, that was like my one vice. And he won't even touch soda anymore. Won't even go near it. It's like not even part of his consciousness anymore. So it's wild just to see that in like over like four years, it's just completely transformed his way of thinking once he started integrating and adding really healthy food. So it's so wild. I wanted to ask you about your book because I think like who you wrote this book for and why this book is so important to shifting this confusion and this. I think so many people go to the grocery store and they are so confused. So the name of the book is The Real Food Grocery Guide, right? Yeah. So and so many people go and they're confused and they have all this confusion. And then because they're confused, they become paralyzed and they won't make choices. And they go back to their old way of thinking because of the confusion. And that's proven scientifically that when people are confused, they stay paralyzed. And so that's why I absolutely love your book. And I would love to hear a little bit more about it. And I think if you're listening, you should definitely get it because it makes grocery shopping really, really simple. Yeah. So this book came about very organically and it was really a result of doing tons of grocery store tours for my clients. And I just thought, like I offered it as a side extra service. I was like, okay, let's see if people are interested. People loved it and they would go on the tour and the next day I would literally get a call from like one, two, sometimes three of their friends, like, okay, I need to go on this tour. So I'm like, okay, there maybe there's something here. It became really popular. It was written up in a bunch of magazines and all of this stuff. And so I was like, okay, I need to turn this into a book because I obviously can't walk through the grocery store with every single person yeah. in America. And so each chapter of the book is a different section of the grocery store from produce to meat, seafood, dairy, eggs, packaged foods rather. And it literally walks you through everything that you need to know from the health benefits to the concerns to how do you choose the ripest cantaloupe or sweetest cantaloupe or the best avocado to your meats, your everything. So how do you choose it? What's the most nutritious options? What do you want to avoid? What do you want to look out for? I really just wanted to help people after working with so many clients in New York and really all over the country. The questions that I kept getting about the grocery store is what I put into this book. How do you read ingredient lists? That's another thing I think people were trained. I know I was trained growing up to always read the nutrition facts panel first, look at the calories or look at the grams of fat. But actually, those are not really the two most important things on that label. The most important thing, in my opinion, is the ingredient list. 
because that's going to tell you whether those calories are high quality or not, or that fat is high quality or not. And that's really the question you want to be asking. So I really just made it to clear up the confusion so people have, they know exactly what the healthiest choices are in every single aisle of the grocery store. That's amazing. And so they can grab it at pretty much any, you guys can get it at Target, right? Any yep. major bookstore, Amazon. Amazon for yeah, sure. But yep. I highly recommend it. It cuts the confusion, makes it really simple so that you're not paralyzed and you're not it's like standing at the grocery store thinking, what kind of eggs should I buy? Should I buy grass-fed or grass-finished and all of these things? Right, that... like what's important or why you want wild seafood and not farmed? And also, how do you save money? There's a whole chapter on making real food really affordable with a lot of options for places you can buy or ways that you can buy healthy and organic groceries more affordably. It also delves a little bit in the beginning. I'm very interested in food politics. Because again, I feel like we're being cheated in a way by not being taught about food. And in fact, I think we're misled a lot of the time about food and nutrition. So I touch a little bit about that and really talk about like why food is our medicine. And you want to look at your grocery store almost as your medicine cabinet. Yeah. And I also think it's really important that we stop looking at best-selling, top-selling, because just because it's best-selling and other people are buying it doesn't mean that it's necessarily good for you. And so there's all these marketing terms that it's very easy, even myself, if I see something that's like best-selling, I'm like, what is that? But they're using those terms to upsell product. And so we have to be very careful with how things are marketed, where they're placed in the grocery store, where they're placed even online on Amazon, if they're right in front of us. Just becoming aware, I think, is part of this process. And as consumers, we get to cast a vote with our dollars. And I think that that's another really important responsibility that we have. We get to cast the vote of what we choose to buy and what we choose not to buy. And that's what will actually create shifts for more organic produce in our stores. For sure. Yeah. And even just there's so many things I think people don't realize, like I didn't realize until I started actually studying it. So for example, in packaged foods, which most people are still going to buy packaged foods, the ingredients, like certain ingredients are allowed in our packaged foods that are banned in other countries because of their health implications or are not fully tested. Like we don't really know what's happening or we have some ideas or some sense, some research that would suggest that they're not great for our health. And so you would think that these foods or these ingredients wouldn't be allowed in the food store, but it's not true. The food industry is very much self-policed. So we really need to be the detective there and we need to actually look at the labels and do the detective work ourselves. We can't expect the FDA or the food companies or anything to present a product that's going to support our health necessarily. Yeah, it comes back to our responsibility, right? And like you said, going down. And I hate the idea of going down the rabbit hole because then we go so far down that we get depressed because it's like everything in the grocery store is bad. But I think it's important just to start becoming aware, right? And even if that's this week, I'm going to look at what's in one specific product I, I buy and maybe coming up with a replacement. Next week, I'm going to look at my bread. Next week, I'm going to look at my eggs and just doing one a week. And then by the end of the year, your entire cabinet is completely different. For sure. And there's always an upgrade. No matter what you're eating now, there is a healthier upgrade for whatever you're eating, whether it's a paleo version, a keto version, a vegan version, this version. Like there's multiple healthier versions of every conventional product. This has been so amazing. Thank you so much. Do you want to leave our listeners with anything, one last statement, one last comment, anything that's shifted for you that's been like the most profound, I don't know, any words of wisdom? I would say don't rush yourself. Life is a long time and healing sometimes takes longer than we would like it to take. So just take one step at a time and little changes each and every single day will add up to big changes over time. That's amazing. And if people want to connect with you, 
where's the best place to message, DM? Sure. So I spend a lot of time on Instagram and that's at Maria Marlowe and Marlowe is spelled M-A-R-L-O-W-E. So you could definitely shoot me a DM there. I answer those very frequently. You could also check out my website, which is mariamarlo.com for tons of healthy recipes and meal plans anti-acne plans, healthy eating plans, all that jazz. Yeah, I definitely recommend popping over there. There's some really amazing guides and programs that are very inexpensive. I love that you make them inexpensive because I think that's what's really going to shift is creating programs that are just financially feasible and available to the masses. So thank you so much for creating those. Yeah, I want everyone to do it. I don't think health is not just for the 1% or the super wealthy. Health is our right for everyone. And I just want to share the knowledge. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful. Thank you for having me. Okay, friends, that concludes another amazing episode. I am so grateful for Maria's insights. It was such a pleasure to have that conversation with her. And wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, I hope that you take what you learned in this episode and start making the right choices that are right for your body. Because I have to say, in the years that I've been coaching, I've found that your intuition is your greatest guide and that your body already knows what is best for it. It just is about listening. So the challenge this week is that anytime you find yourself getting caught up in confusion, I encourage you to repeat this affirmation. I intuitively know what is best for me. I trust my choices and how to nourish my body. I intuitively know what is best for me. I trust my choices and how to nourish my body. And I'd love to know how this affirmation lands for you. Connect and share with me on the gram. And please, please, please send me any of your most pressing questions. I would love to answer them on the cast. Thank you so much for being here and committing to your health and well-being. You've got this, my friends. Until next week, I'm sending you so much love. All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.